skills one brings to listening to music, imagination, abstract nonlinear thinking, instinctive reaction, and trusting those instincts must be constantly renewed and cultivated if they are to stay in us alive and strong. Music, as a universal nonverbal language, allows us to tap into the social, cultural, and aesthetic traditions of different times and different places. And in doing so, we become more aware of our shared humanity and the wisdom of others. Music allows us to transcend our own world and partake in completely different realities. Like life itself, music is a multi-dimensional thing. And below the surface of everyday events, what in music would be called thematic melody, lies layer upon layer of subtle expressive meaning, constructive detail, and metaphor. I know for a fact, and this has been borne out through personal experience, that becoming consciously aware of the various layers that collectively constitute the musical experience opens our minds as very few other things can. Now, I don't know about you, but I find all of this very exciting and very relevant, which begs a conceptual point. Please, let us not conceive concert music as a cultural fossil, as lumps of old, dated sound to be framed and mounted and observed in musical museums, that is, symphony halls and opera houses. Rather, let us conceive concert music as a living, breathing expression of both its time and place and ours as well. My friends, opera houses and concert halls are not museums or worse, mausoleums, but rather reanimation facilities where the spiritual essence of a composer and his or her time, distilled and refined into a piece of music, come back to life in all their original intensity, expressivity, and glory. Our game plan. Our game plan for this lecture is as follows. One, we will deal with definitions and distinctions. We'll define some important terms and make some important distinctions. Two, we will explore what I call the four basic assumptions of Western music as a mirror. Three, we will discuss the three-prong attack we will take to the music we will study in this course. Four, I will offer a heartfelt apology for what has by necessity been excluded from this course. And five, we will discuss this strange and misunderstood creature called the composer. Definitions and distinctions. This is a course about Western music, that is, European-based music. Yes, we understand that our planet boasts many other ancient and magnificent musical traditions in China, in India, in West Africa, in Indonesia, even in the tiny Himalayan kingdom of Bhutan, to name just a few. We, however, are limiting our study to Western, that is, European-based music. Oh, I must tell you a true story. For many years, I taught a freshman-level how-to-listen-type music course at the University of California at Berkeley. One year, I got back a student evaluation that read, enjoyed the course, the teacher was funny, liked his enthusiasm, but we never listened to any Western music. Well, it took me a while to figure out that this future leader of America had patiently and vainly waited all semester 
to hear Hank Williams. We will not make that mistake. Western, in this case, means Eurocentric. Some definitions. Concert music. Concert music is music we will hear in one of those reanimation facilities, a concert hall, a recital hall, or an opera house. More often than not, such music is referred to as classical music, which is, in fact, a misnomer. The term classical music refers properly to music composed during the classical era, between roughly 1750 and 1805. Let us, then, use the infinitely more appropriate term concert music to address the concert repertoire as a whole. Concert music it is. That was easy. Less easy is drawing a distinction between concert music and popular music. But what is the difference?